Okay. Do you like reading? Lots of people have been on holiday and have um, <clears throat> been reading books over the summer. And lots of times when we were on holiday, we're a great reading family. Lots of times we'd be saying, right, we're going out in half an hour. They go, no, 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 you, I've got, I'm a really good point in this book. You can't go out yet. I've got to finish this book. That probably happened about half a dozen times when we were on holiday. And uh, we love reading books. And um, when I get a new book, I like to flip it over and look on the back and see what it says. Not, no, not at the end of the story, on the back cover. Because on the back cover, they try and sell you the book, don't they? So when you're in WH Smith's or any other retailer, and you pick up that book, you look on the back, and it says, this is an amazing thriller that will keep you on the edge of your toes to the very last page. You think, well, that sounds pretty good. They're not going to say it's really boring and it's actually quite naff. They're going to sell it to you, aren't they? And so you look at the book and you think, that sounds really good. I might buy that. And, um, <clears throat> but then sometimes it's a bit of a disappointment. Uh, but generally, as you look at those things on the back, it tells you roughly what the book is going to be like, and you think, yes, I'm going to buy that, because they've sold it to you. I am going to sell you a book this morning that has everything. It's not the Bible, so put that out of your mind. Sorry about that, Karen. I'm going to sell you a book that has everything. This is a story of power, drama, betrayal, intrigue, passion, high office, Murder, romance, suspense, irony, poetic justice, and finally, a happy ending. How does that sound? It sounds amazing, doesn't it? It's in the Bible. The book of Esther. I cannot understand why Esther has never been made into a Hollywood blockbuster because it has everything in the book that would just be fantastic for uh, a story. So what I'm going to do this morning is something a little bit different. I'm going to spoil the story for you because I'm going to tell you the story. But it's only 10 chapters. And what I would like you to do this week is read the book of Esther for yourself. Try and read it in one sitting. It's not difficult. It, It won't take you a huge amount of time. But it is a fantastic book. And I just read it um, in the last two weeks, and I started reading it, and I literally couldn't stop. It was like reading a thriller. I was just like, I'd forgotten how good a book it is. It's just amazing, and it has all those things in it and more that I can't tell you about. So I want to tell you the story, and then I've just picked out three things that I think God wants to speak to us uh, about out of that story. So the situation is this. There's a very powerful king called Xerxes, and he is the ruler of the Persian Empire. He's the king of the Persian Empire, which at that time was the most powerful nation on earth. And he was the king of that nation. Huge. Most powerful nation on earth. And uh, Xerxes has a party. Now, in those days when they have a party... It's not like we have a party, Saturday night or Friday night. Oh, no. He has a party that lasts six months. Six-month party. And the idea of this party is to show how rich he is, to show all his lands, all his houses, how much bounty he has as the ruler of this amazing Persian empire. Xerxes has this huge party. 
And at, towards the end of the party, he gets incredibly drunk. They're all drunk by then, surprise, surprise. He gets drunk and he calls his wife, Queen Vashti, into the party, effectively to show her off to all his friends. Because we are told in the Bible, Vashti is a beautiful woman. Think of Elizabeth Taylor when she played Cleopatra. That's what we're talking about. This beautiful woman, and he calls her to come into the court to parade her in front of all his uh, courtiers. The Bible says she was beautiful to look at. But Queen Vashti says, no. She says, I'm not coming into your drunken party. Forget that. It's not happening. Now, if you are a ruler of the Persian Empire and you rule half the earth, which is effectively what he did, nobody says no to you. Nobody. So Queen Vashti is kicked out the door, divorced, and her queenship is taken away from her. That's the end of Vashti. She's done, finished. And that is the kind of power that he has. So here he is, a ruler of half the earth with no wife. What is to be done? This is Disney all over, okay? He sends out an edict and he says, right, I want all the most beautiful virgins in the land to come and parade in my court and I will choose the most beautiful one of them all. So that's what he does. He sends out this edict. I want all the most beautiful virgins in the land. They come, they can beautify themselves. Get this, they have 12 months to beautify themselves. That's what it says in the Bible. 12 months. Guys, when your wife says to you, can I have a couple of minutes to finish my makeup, never complain again, all right? Because these girls had 12 months to beautify themselves. It says six months to use the oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments. So they've got 12 months to get themselves ready. So, what happens is this. At this time, purely by coincidence, of course, there was a Jewish girl called Esther that had been brought up by her uncle Mordecai, who is very beautiful. And so he sends her to the palace to see if she finds favor in the eyes of the king. Now we are told that she was very beautiful in the Bible. It says that. She was very beautiful uh, and in one of my... She was very beautiful and she had a comely figure. I'm not sure what that means, but probably very shapely, I would guess. So, she goes to the palace. She has 12 months to beautify herself. They are paraded before the king. And the king decides that Esther is the one. It says the king loved her more than all the other women. She won grace and favor in his sight. So he gave her the royal crown and made her queen. So there is this Jewish girl. Sorry, I probably didn't say that. But Mordecai and Esther are Jewish. They're part of the remnant that are left in this huge Persian empire. She's Jewish and she becomes the queen. Purely by coincidence. We've already talked about coincidences this morning. Another coincidence happens 
Mordecai overhears a plot to overthrow the king. Two of the eunuchs have decided they're going to kill the king and uh, they're going to overthrow him. Mordecai overhears the plot, so he tells Queen Esther and she tells the king. The plot is foiled. And it says in the Bible, this was recorded in the history books of the time. That is very, very important. Okay, now we introduce the next character, who is the evil prime minister. Boo. Called Haman. Okay, Haman is completely full of himself. He is power crazy. He wants to be near the king as he possibly can. He wants to rule the country. And uh, he hates Jews. That's part of his uh, character. He was an Amalekite. He didn't like the Jews and he certainly didn't like Mordecai. So we're introduced to this character. He is the prime minister. He has a lot of power. And uh, he decrees that everyone should bow down to him when they walk past him because he is so powerful. You can see what kind of character he is. He's really full of himself. Nasty piece of work. So first of all, what happens is Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. Refuses to do it because he says, I only bow down to Jehovah. I'm certainly not going to bow down to you. So Mordecai, sorry, Haman decides that he's got it in for Mordecai. And another one of these great parties that the kings throw, Haman gets the ear of the king. And what he says to him is, these Jews are causing trouble all throughout Persia. So what I want to do, what I want you to do, is issue an edict that on a particular day in the future, which was about a year away, all the Jewish people in this land could be killed. So the king, being drunk and weak as he was, signs the paper, puts the seal on it, and that is set in tablets of stone. Unbeknown to the king, of course, is that Esther is a Jew. She hasn't told him yet. Also that Mordecai is a Jew as well. But that is what happens. You can see how it's all building up. Mordecai found out what had happened, but couldn't do anything about it. He didn't have the power to do anything about it, so he tells Queen Esther. And he goes to Queen Esther, he tells, there is this horrendous plot, all the Jews are going to be killed. In a year's time, we have to do something about it. And she says to him, that's fine. The problem is that the king has not called for me for 30 days. Now, in those days, the king would call you as his wife into his court or into his bedroom, whatever he wanted, and you would go. You always said yes. Now, if he's not called you for 30 days, you just have to wait. You are not allowed to go into the king's court without being asked. If you go into the king's court, he has an option to point the golden scepter at you and say, yes, you can come in, or if he doesn't, you get your head chopped off. So here's the dilemma. Esther has not been called into his presence for a long time. Tension, drama. At this time, Haman decides that Mordecai needs teaching a lesson. So what he says is, the next day, I'm going to build a gallows, 75 feet high, and I'm going to hang Mordecai from the gallows the very next day. So, it doesn't look like a very good situation, does it? 
The queen can't do anything about it. Mordecai is going to be hung the next day. So what happens? What amazing godly influence is there going to be to change this? I'll tell you. The king can't sleep. That's all it is. The king cannot sleep that night. So he wakes up. Well, he doesn't wake up because he's going to sleep. But what he says is, right, I can't sleep. Come and read me the history of our, of our country. So they come, the courtiers come, and they get the history books out, and they start to read, and they read this story how Mordecai has foiled an assassination attempt against the king, and the king suddenly realizes, hold on a minute, we never said thank you to Mordecai. We haven't honored him in any way at all. This needs to be changed. The very next morning, on the day that Mordecai is due to be hung, the king calls Haman into his chambers and said, what should we do to a man who falls an assassination attempt? How should we honor him? Haman is completely full of self-importance and believes the king is talking about him. How can you honor me as your prime minister? So he goes completely over the top and he says, what you should do, king, is you should give him your best robes. You should give him your, the last horse that you used and you should take him through the town honoring him and saying, look, this is what happens when you look after the king, thinking it's going to be him. The king says, you are right. That is absolutely what we should do. Go and get Mordecai, put the robes on him, put him on the horse and take him through the town, honoring him and getting everyone else to honor him. Imagine how he felt. It's a nightmare. It's his worst nightmare come true. The day that he's going to hang him from the gallows, he comes and he says to him, no, 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 don't do that. You're going to you're going to honor him throughout the town. And you're the one that's going to be leading the horse with him on the back in all these fine robes. God has a sense of humor. Fantastic. I love it. So, that's going on. The queen decides to go into the king. She's already spoken to Mordecai. And one important thing is when Esther and Mordecai talk about what's going to happen, the first thing they do is they pray and fast. They pray and fast about what they should do. It tells us in the scriptures they do that. That's really important. So she says, okay, I'm going to go into the king's presence, and if I die, I die, but if he listens to me, he listens to me. She goes into the king's presence, he puts the golden scepter down, which means he accepts her into his presence. And she asks him, he asks her, what, what can I do for you? So she says to him, I want to have a party the following day, which is what they do. And uh, at this party, obviously Haman is there and, uh, and the king is there. Sorry, I'm just running ahead of myself. <coughs> So she speaks to him at the party about the plight of the Jewish people and that he's been tricked into believing that the Jews are the ones that are causing a problem in this land. 
And he listens to her and he suddenly realises that he's been tricked by Haman. So, he's angry, he goes out of the chamber. While he's out, Haman realises his life is in danger. So he starts to plead with the queen. And it says in the Bible that he had hold of her. We're not sure what's going on, but he was obviously pleading with her for his life, got hold of her, which you're not allowed to do. The king comes back in, sees what's going on, and that's it. Haman is finished. You know, what are you doing to the queen? You've assaulted her and so forth. And he orders that Haman be hanged that very day on the gallows he'd prepared for Mordecai. Hooray! Queen Esther finds favour with the king and he issues a new decree that the Jews can defend themselves against anyone who attacks them. So they're effectively a protected nation. They are still attacked because in those days when the king issued an edict, he couldn't revoke it. That was it. It Even if it was a really unwise one, it had to stay. What he had to do was issue another edict on top of the first one to change it, which is what he does in this case. They become a protected nation. They're saved and rescued. Mordecai takes Haman's job. Everything is amazing. It's an amazing story of salvation in rescue. And in fact, it's still remembered even to this day by the Feast of Purim, which is a Jewish feast. What they do every year is they retell the story just as I've retold it this morning. Um, every time Mordecai's name is mentioned, everyone cheers. And just like we did this morning, every time Haman's name is, they're all booing and they're doing rattles so that his name can't be heard. But it is a tremendous story of God's salvation. It obviously reminds us of our own salvation. I want to talk about that a bit later. It is a great story. I can't go into the, all the little intricacies that there are within the story. But if you read it for yourself, it, at the end of each chapter, it's like you've got to go on to the next chapter because it's a cliffhanger. That's what it is like. It's a wonderful book to read. I know God will bless you if you read it. So have a read of it this week. But there are three things I just want to pick out practically for us as Christians. What does this story talk to us about? First thing is this. God's timing is always perfect. Even if you think otherwise. (laughs) Was was that an amen? (laughs) God's timing is always perfect. It may be 11th hour. It may be that you think all is lost. But his timing is perfect. The key verse in Esther is this, verse 14. This is Mordecai talking to Esther. He says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You know, Mordecai was very wise. God had put Esther in that place for that one moment in history. 
That's just an amazing story. This book is full of coincidences. Have you noticed that? A good friend of mine used to say, a coincidence is when God does a miracle but decides to remain anonymous. It's true. I don't believe there are such things as coincidences in the kingdom of God. God moves. God puts people in places. And that is what's happened. For such a time as this. When you speak to someone about the gospel, what is that all about? I'll tell you what it's about for such a time as this. Jill speaks to that lady. That is all about God's timing. Anyone speaks to someone. You invite someone on Alpha. What is that about? That is about for such a time as this. In that moment in history, you can change someone's life for eternity. Someone spoke to you about the gospel at some point. When my father was a really arrogant young man, he was 32 years old, he was very successful in the job that he did, he went across to his neighbor and his neighbor said to him, Jesus came to save sinners. Now, I, my dad was a very strong personality, very arrogant young man. I'm not sure I'd have told him the gospel like that. I really need to say thank you to that guy who lived across the road for being brave enough to say that to my dad. But he went back to my mom and he said, did you know that God came to save sinners? That day he went and bought a Bible and they started reading the Bible and he got saved. What is that about for such a time as this? Never decry when you share the gospel with anybody. Be it at the school gate, be it having coffee with someone. It's for such a time as this. God loves these moments in history where his plan comes together. And his timing is perfect. Julia had a, a friend that we used to know, and she was a real chatterbox. And she used to talk about when she used to go out on the town and getting drunk. And, da, da, da. and one day she said to Julia, well, let's have a coffee together. And Julia was going, oh, I've got to go and have a coffee with this woman. It's going to be a nightmare. I'm listening to all her stories about what she was doing on the town and getting drunk. And da, 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 da. She goes... And she speaks to that lady, and the lady absolutely pours out how unhappy she is, how her marriage is problems for such a time as this. What happens? She gets saved. She comes to know the Lord. Her life is completely changed. I had the privilege of listening to her testimony at her baptism. It was absolutely fantastic. For such a time as this. That's why when we say, pray about who you should invite on Alpha, they're not just words. We mean it. Pray about who you should invite. And don't use your own value system to think, oh, I'll invite them because they're a really nice person and they're right on the edge of becoming a Christian. Listen, God doesn't deal with people like that who are right on the edge who are nice people. He came to save sinners. Yeah. Hallelujah. He came to save those who are in a real mess. The Bible tells us I came to save those who are sick, not those who are well. Don't think he's near, I'll ask him. Think they're in a terrible mess, invite them. God can come and sort their mess out. It doesn't matter what mess they're in. God can come and do it. Because he came to save those who are sick. Not those who think they're all right. Hallelujah. 
God's timing is perfect. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. That verse should be highlighted in your Bible, put on your fridge. At the right time, Jesus came. At the right time. Hallelujah. That we can stand here this morning and worship as we did. Because at the right time, Jesus Christ came and gave himself as a sacrifice for us. His timing is not always our timing. And when we're pushed to the 11th hour, that's when we have to trust. Lord, where are you? I need to make a decision by tomorrow. God says, okay, trust me. We'll sort it out in the morning. You're like, no, sort it out tonight, Lord, then I can sleep. No, we'll sort it out in the morning. Why? Because he wants wants us to trust him. Esther had to go into the king's presence not being invited. And he puts out the golden scepter and lets her come in. Without that moment in history, everything else changes. You see how minute God's intervention is? It's beautiful. Okay, second point. God is in control. Hallelujah. But it may not always be obvious. You know, in the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther. When you read it this week, you'll find that out. What I love what uh, Matthew Henry says in his commentary about this. He says, though the name of God isn't found in this book, the finger of God is. Directing many minute events for the bringing about of his people's deliverance. I love that. Hallelujah. Listen, God is not always in the foreground. He's so often in the background moving things around and doing stuff we don't even see or know about. You see, we think people are all right, don't we? Because they put up this great facade of everything is fine, everything is okay. But actually in the background, God is bringing things to a head and you come in at that point. And suddenly you bring exactly what they need because God has moved in the background in ways we cannot even see or understand. That's what he's doing in this story. He's bringing so many things to come to pass. The finger of God is moving. And the finger of God is still moving in 2015. Hallelujah. He is in control. Look at all the coincidences in the book. The king divorces his wife. A place opens up for a new king. Esther is chosen from all these women. I'm sure they were all beautiful. But Esther is chosen. Why? Because she needs to be in the right place at the right time. Mordecai saves the king's life and is then saved himself. How does that work? Because the king couldn't sleep. Sorry, does the whole of God's creation rest on the fact the king can't sleep? Yes! It's not a mountain moving. It's not some huge tumultuous event. It's not Pompeii erupting. The king can't sleep. Read me the history book. Oh, we forgot about Mordecai. Hallelujah. Don't you love God coincidences? 
When people give their testimony, so often they say, you know, it was funny, but that person was the fifth Christian I'd met that year. They say things like that, as though it's a coincidence. There are no coincidences in God. His finger is moving, putting people in different places. When I met Julia, she said to me, it's funny, you're about the fifth Christian I've met this year. Hallelujah. Good job she didn't go out with the other four, isn't it? But I was, and we had so many arguments about the Bible and about Christianity, you would not believe it. Oh, she can be very argumentative. <laughs> I know you wouldn't believe it, so I have to say it. <laughs> I'm going to pay for it, yeah. <laughs> God moves in the background so often. Don't worry if you can't see God moving. Because he doesn't move in the foreground all the time. He moves in the background. Remember, coincidences when God moves but decides to remain anonymous. Okay, lastly, what God did for his people in this story is wonderful. The Jewish remnant are in Persia. This most amazing and huge empire is actually ruled by a really weak king whose head is turned so easily. But what God does through Esther and Mordecai is wonderful. No wonder the Jews celebrate it every year and remember what God did. It's brilliant. And we're the same. What God has done for us to save us is no less wonderful than what he did for his people. Ephesians tells us our position was desperate and people's position is desperate without Christ. You're separate from Christ. You're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers to the covenant of promise. You have no hope. You're without God in the world. You're dead in your sins. Can't get much worse than that. That was our position, each one of us, before we come to know Jesus. And then Jesus comes. And everything changes. Ephesians says, you've been brought near. God has broken down the dividing wall. He's established peace between me and God. He's reconciled us to God. We're given access into his presence. We're fellow citizens with the saints. We're in God's household. We're sons and daughters of the living king. What God has done is amazing. I know we come every so often, I say that very carefully, to do communion together, where we do remember that. But actually... We don't have to do communion every week because every time we worship, what we're saying is, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking those chains that held me. That song was so wonderful we sang today. That spoke to me so much. Breaking chains, setting us free. God did it for his people in Persia. God did it for me when I was 12 years old. God did it for my dad. He's done it for each one of you that is saved this morning. He's come and he's set you free. Hallelujah. He's brought us near to God. 
And when we're saved, we could say, oh, I'll just be a slave. That'll be good enough because I've been saved. He says, what are you talking about, be a slave? You're my sons and my daughters. You have the best robe. You come and eat at my table with me. You're part of my family. That's the change that he has brought about. It's a wonderful salvation. And God is still saving people in 2015. That's why Alpha is so important. That's why when we pray and we invite people, it's important. Because you can change someone's life for eternity by just being in the right place at the right time and listening to what God says. Can we show that slide? I meant to bring this home with me and I forgot. Let me turn the light off. So I rang my mum last night and I said, can you take a picture of this shield on the wall? Now, my mum is completely hopeless with her iPhone. She cannot even answer it most of the time. So I spent 35 minutes getting this photo, which is pretty naff. But anyway, enough about my problems. What is this? This is the Garrett Family Shield. Okay? At the top there, it actually says Garrett. You can't really see it. But it does say Garrett, I promise you. Now, I don't know all about the line in the middle and the black and white. It should be blue and white, really. But anyway, it's black and white. There's a lion. There's something else on there as well. We were given this shield many years ago by a relative. At the bottom of the shield, there's a little scroll. And that says, Certe Cruce Salus which I guess is Latin. Now, none of us knew what that meant. And then one day, somebody came round to our house who happened to be a Christian, and they said, oh, that's interesting. Do you know what that says at the bottom? And we said, nope, no idea. This is what it says. Sure salvation through the cross. How good is that? Sure salvation through the cross. love it the point is this scrub out my surname put your name in there Hardy Harper what's your surname? Murphy (laughs) even have weird surnames like that (laughs) hey Graham and Barbara Hunt shout me some surnames give me a hand I'm useless with names. Spear. Batsford. Listen, it's not about Garrett. It's about grace. Put your surname on that shield. Certe Cruce Salus. Sure salvation through the cross. That's what you have. You're saved this morning. Sure salvation through the cross. You want to see people come to know Jesus? Invite them to Alpha. Pray for a God moment. Pray for God's timing and pray that you would speak to the right person. As you do, God can do amazing things beyond our expectation. How do I know that? Because he's been doing it 
since the book of Esther and before. Read Esther this week. I promise you will get blessed. I promise you. It will bless your socks off. Just let God come and speak to you. It's a great book, but it's no greater than what God has done for each and every one of us, which has brought salvation to us by his wonderful Son, Jesus. There is no other name under earth by which you can be saved. Save the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.